Hey everyone, welcome to Single Minded Conversations. I'm your host, Jesse Single, coming at you live from a, uh, what you may have heard is a very cold Brooklyn. I think it's, I'm going to guess it's 13 degrees out. Yeah. High of 17 today. It's rough, but it gets boring to complain about after a while. I mean, I people in parts of the country where it doesn't get cold, I understand their shock, but I think those of us who choose to live in the Northeast, um, probably we should only complain about it so much because it gets whiny and uh yeah glad to be inside on this day um i'm mostly just going to take your calls uh questions comments whatever feel free to jump in one i might write about this but one like sort of 2023 wish i have is um i hope we can rediscover the idea of people like just being wrong uh it seems like something's going on where i think i was inspired by this um there was a Slate article about Ancient Apocalypse, which is a, I think, historically challenged documentary. Um, I haven't watched it, but it it can't ever be just like this history is bunk. These ideas are wrong. It always has to be, and it will cause harm, and this will be evil. So this article tried to sort of connect conspiracy theorizing about ancient civilizations or whatever to other more harmful conspiracy theories. And I don't know what it is, but I think we've like to a certain extent lost the ability to just uh, argue whether someone's right or wrong without also jumping ahead 10 steps to how their ideas are going to kill people. And there's just like a certain baseline hysteria that is set in. I don't really know why that is. I think it might just partially be a result of like the attention economy. Um you will not get attention for like quietly pointing out someone is wrong. Uh, you will get more attention for telling them, telling everyone that they're killing people. Um, so you just really see, it's hard to have a conversation when it always immediately degenerates to who is causing who to literally die, who is responsible for genocide, stuff like that. So I don't know how to fix it. Um, and it, there's always a chance that like, Things were always this bad, but we just weren't aware of it because of social media. Maybe people were always jerks like this, or maybe there was more gatekeeping and and the sort of – I hesitate to say that because I find it very unlikely that in like the 1970s, um, you know, it was a real meritocracy. And the people who had newspaper columns were just these paragons of reason and careful, nuanced argument. I, I just doubt that's the case. People got columns because their dad worked in newspapers or, you know, maybe it was always this bad, but I, I'm i sort of sick of it. Um, the one other thing I want to mention is just I don't, I don't know whether or not I was wrong about Elon Musk. So I did not think he was going to do a good job running Twitter. I did not think he was like – a sane guy. He was clearly too online. I did sort of sneer at the ridiculously hyperbolic responses to him buying Twitter about like, this is the end of Twitter or this will enable white supremacy, stuff like that. I don't really think that stuff has come to pass for the most part. Um, I think like there's cases where he's certainly, he's not really a free speech absolutist, but he, he does think people shouldn't be banned from Twitter just for having horrible ideas unless they're also abusive. So like Andrew England coming back is an example of that. Um, Graham Linehan, who I'm not comparing directly to a Nazi, even though he's annoying is another example of that. Um, but you know, Elon's also really crazy and he's just saying stuff on Twitter. You shouldn't say, so I don't, I don't want to, I feel like I'm usually okay to acknowledge I was wrong. I still think people were a little bit hysterical and that whole like, 
final goodbye speeches as the Titanic slips under the ocean waves was a bit over the top, but um, I might have underestimated just how like bad he would be and how much damage he would do, but I don't know. Pongo 2, what is up? Uh, hey, Jesse. Happy non-denominational Christmas or er, festival. <laughs> Thank you. Happy Hanukkah to everybody. Yes. Um, yeah, I guess just uh, on that sort of sort of jumping on what you were saying there about the um, the whole, you know, nothing can ever just be you're incorrect, sir. It has to be you're causing harm and you're destroying black bodies or what have you. Yeah. Um, white genocide, etc. Um, I don't know. I don't really have the answer to that, but I can't. But like there, like when it comes, what comes to mind when you're talking about that is like a like a sort of time period that I've read a lot about in the last couple of years, which is like the 1790s and like the first 10 years after uh, the foundation of the U United States or the constitution, at least um, sort of like, you know, Hamilton times or whatever, where you had like incredibly hyperbolic and ridiculous, like accusations getting curled at each side almost constantly. Like the, but the, Demo the Democrats wanted to set up a guillotine and uh, redo the French Revolution in the United States while the Federalists wanted to uh, uh, make it make England and put y'all back in chains or what have you. And <laughs> right. basically just constant, constant nonstop of this through the whole decade. Um, I don't know that, I don't know what the obvious like analogy to draw there is, although it does seem like reading about it, it does seem like there was a similar thing then where there was like an extremely low barrier of entry to any kind of like um, public press. Um, right. You could become a pamphleteer if you could, if you could write and gain access to printing, you could become a pamphleteer, right? Yeah. You could just, yeah, you could just print off whatever. And because all the important people were within one, one zip code or whatever, it was immediately spread to the entire political class. Right. Um, no analogy to Twitter there, I'm, I'm sure. Um, but <laughs> no. And also, I mean, in that case, there was also the, the involvement of like the government, right? Because, you know, you had Thomas Jefferson using like his, using his state department budget to found an anti-federal, to the, the most vicious anti-federalist rag and pay the guy to be a, a translator for French or whatever. Um, so, I mean, there was that aspect of it too, which as far as I know is not something that's happening today. Although, I mean, you did have Trump's Twitter account, I suppose. So yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, I, I will say though that I, I, I mean, I don't have any appreciation for the way Musk is handling things. Uh, I'm not looking too closely at it because I quit Twitter months ago, thank God. But um, I will say that if he does end up destroying Twitter, that will likely be uh, that will likely be some good karma for him. Um, so I'm at least rooting for him in that respect. Um, I, 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 yeah, I was just I was just quoted in a Joe Bernstein article. Um, he talked to me and other journalists and academics who sort of hope that Twitter collapses because uh, we're so addicted to it. Yeah, last week I popped on. I, I went on Twitter as like a, a non-subscriber, and for like I, I scrolled it for like five minutes before they kicked me out, and it was just like this immediate huge like barrage of rage-inducing things that nevertheless made me want to keep scrolling. And it was like, oh, it was ridiculous. It was insane. I'm glad they picked me you up. Can, you can feel, you can feel the grips of the tentacles pulling you back or like, I will. So I do keep the app on my, off my phone, but I'll occasionally use a web browser to just like check on something. And the stuff it recommends me, even when I'm not logged in anything, it's like, holy shit, man, this is trying to turn my brain into pudding so that I'll be on Twitter and be engaged. Right. 
I, I won't go into this in detail, but I do think that possibly the best uh, historical period to, to understand our current moment might be the, um, the church reform movement in the high middle ages, but I won't say anything more about that. So uh, <laughs> taking up more time. So I like this historical context. So next time you call in, talk about that. Okay. <laughs> okay. Fine. Thank you. Do you want to get to Caleb? How's it going? Hey, hey! Uh, I was a little worried about you on Sunday after that uh, Patriots game. I saw you were off Twitter and like, oh no, is he okay? So believe it or not, I was at a uh, 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 like a Hanukkah party, a fancier one than I would usually be at, and I was just keeping. So I left when the Pats were down two scores. I saw them catch up. And I was just like refreshing the game log, and then I I could not believe what happened because, according to I don't want to bore everyone with this, but you know there were ten seconds left, it was tied, we were clearly going overtime, and then uh, it this is a again I don't want to bore people. This is such an unlikable team. They're not so bad that they'll get a good draft pick, but they're just they're losers. And of course, in 50 minutes, I'll be tuning in because I'm a sucker. Uh, they'll get destroyed by the Bengals. Then maybe I can really tune out. But um, we watched it's We're spoiled. We've watched such amazing teams that always come through in the clutch. And these guys are they're losers. I say as the guy sitting on my couch. Yeah, I, I, I'd seen some crazy laterals uh, at the edge of games with the team, with it, by teams that were down, but never won. That were was tired. a historically bad play. I just, even non-football fans, just Google uh, Myers. That's the name of the player. Patriots lateral. You'll see the one of the worst football players in NFL history. Okay, but uh, this is what I was um, wanted to bring up. Is that I saw you uh, bring up that uh, Camp of the Saints novel on Twitter, which is this really horrible French anti-immigration novel. Yeah. And uh, I've actually read parts of the Turner Diary. Someone put it on Usenet back like 20 years ago. And uh, and uh, I read it back when I was in high school. And it's really awful. And I don't think there's really any point in reading it. You, so you think they're both not worth um, I, to be clear, I'm not like about to sit down and. Read I've never read Camp of the Saints, but I don't yeah. think you really need to do much more than read a Wikipedia entry. It's just that you you mentioned this book in your latest episode, which I just heard. Uh, one part of uh, uh, the Turner Diaries, there's this ridiculously over the top uh, character who's a Jewish pedophile union organizer. <laughs> and, <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't laugh. I'm not making this. This is like up. a book that has literally inspired real world yeah, death. But he's yeah, a, no, wait, yeah. let's take off the what let's take mean? off the the red meat here. He's a Jewish pedophile union organizer. Yeah, I mean, awesome. this, 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 I mean, I, I should be giving more context. I'm sorry. Anyone aren't familiar with the Turner Diaries? It inspired Timothy McVeigh yeah. and his. T- so the Turner, the end. I'll, I'll just quit. The Turner Diaries ends with like the day of the rope where the Nazis win and hang everybody. And Camp of the Saints is basically about dirty, diseased immigrants, uh, overrunning Europe. And I'm, I forget what brought it up, but I was just, I, I tweeted whether or not you can gain anything to like learn about the far right reactionary mindset, um, from these books. And weirdly, um, this Australian lefty Twitter personality, pretended I was talking about pretended I was saying that like all conservatives like these books, which I wasn't, it was just a weird pile on. Anyway, go ahead. So uh, that Jewish pedophile unorganizer kind of reminded me of the book Manhunt where where there's one of the villains, the villains are turfs and one of them was in a torture in Guantanamo. 
Ah, uh, yeah. So Manhunt is uh, Gretchen Falker, Falkner Martin, whatever the fuck her name is. Uh, it's like a dark uh, horror novel about trans women um, who I guess have to extract sperm from men. But there's a lot. There's like basically radical feminists who get tortured, yeah. and I believe. Cause and yeah. and I, I just wanted to say that I actually heard how it ended. The turfs actually get a warship and arm it with a nuclear weapon. Is that actually true? Yes, and they called the warship the Galbraith. <laughs> oh my god! It just I, yeah. But uh, if you're looking for a, I think that the the the, the most palatable of like Turner Diaries type book I've ever heard about isn't actually a serious. Uh, um, it's a book called The Iron Dream where the whole conceit is that it's an alternate universe where Adolf Hitler became a really, really terrible science fiction author. Oh, my God. And uh, and he uh, and the, and the book is his book. The book's called The Iron Dream, but the book within the book is called Lord of the Swastika, and everything is, like, really obvious. I heard it's called Iron Dream. Yeah, but uh, it's from, like, the 70s. But uh, okay. it's just like it's, it's. But the thing is, you actually have to read the entire book, and it just gets because he's such a terrible author. It's, <laughs> right. Yeah. So. Yeah. Thank you for the uh, recommendations, Caleb. And the you're welcome. Okay. All right. All okay. Right. Bye. Happy whatever holiday, Laura. What's up? Hey, can you hear me? Okay. Okay. Cool. I've been trying to call into the show for like ever, but I'm always busy. Uh, I'm a sort of new subscriber. I came in on the written house stuff because I was just like not getting any good info. So thank you so much for that. But oh, you're welcome. Like, now, I'm glad you liked it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So now I've been like reading your newsletter and stuff, and um, I was curious if you knew any, if you had any opinions about like uh, a lot of the like more modern, like lefty liberal discourse on drug policy. Um. I'm, it's not really my area, but give, get more. Are you get more specific if there's a specific thing you have in mind? Yeah, uh, I kind of feel like a lot of it is very like, oh, all drugs are the same, and like it's okay if you don't want to stop using. Yeah, um, yeah. I was wondering if you had an opinion on because, like, I, I'm a grad student, right? So I'm kind of in that environment, and uh, like both of my parents suffered from addiction as well. I'm sorry, so I've seen. Uh, it's all good. I mean, I've seen like firsthand, you know, how that stuff can destroy communities. Like, it's not just that person who's affected by it. It's like, it's everyone, you know, and yeah, uh, it, yeah, it's kind of like frustrating to just hear so many people like parrot this idea that, you know, it's like, if you're on meth, it's fine. You don't have to stop, you know, like, yeah. if you had any thoughts on that or. Well, I think that it's sort of, have you heard the concept of a luxury belief? No. I forget someone in chat will know who came up with this. This academic came up with it. It's like the idea that if you're like a wealthy privileged person, you can express these beliefs because they don't affect you. So if you live in a um, fancy suburb where you'll always have private security, if you need it, it's like, yeah, abolish the police. I, I think there's a little bit of that there of like these like radical chic views on drug use from people who probably don't have much experience with like, serious addiction in their life. Um, you know, at least like drug, meth, fentanyl and stuff like that. I, Rob Henderson. Yeah, that's who it was. Rob Henderson, luxury beliefs. You should look up his, um, I think it's relevant here. Look up his interview with Barry Weiss. So I was thinking about this a little bit lately because I, the big movement in drug policy is harm reduction. Um, 
which I basically agree with. Like the idea is that a lot of addicts um, are probably going to be addicts, at least in the short term, and you should reduce the harm they do to themselves and others. That's the philosophy between safe injection sites and like <laughs> loosening criminal penalties. What I realized is that like, you know, six years ago, I was a science writer on staff at New York Magazine. I think I was a little bit maybe too credulous of some claims about how amazing um, harm reduction interventions are. Uh, my sense is we actually don't have great data for things like safe injection sites and for these other, you know, basically more liberal drug policy. And I, I don't get the sense the approaches places like San Francisco take have are working where there's just like basically open air drug markets and people shooting up everywhere. So I just, I think there's probably a middle path between not enforcing at all uh, and having needles everywhere. And, and, you know, people are responding to the fact that, that we have had crazy drug policy for a long time, like putting people in jail for years for small amounts of marijuana. Um, so I think that's an understandable backlash, but I think a lot of people are just like too glib about the reality of addiction and, and the idea that, you know, if you're just nice to people who are addicted and treat them well and keep them safe, that the situation will improve. Yeah, I would definitely agree. It's, it was just so jarring. That felt like it came out of nowhere. And I was really like, cause I had that chip on my shoulder for so long, you know, like having to deal with my parents. And so I would go to like these different harm reduction seminars and, I mean, I still carry Narcan, but, like, that was my intro into that. And I was like, what are you guys talking about, you know? So uh, that was, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm what, glad what, are the, what are the things you hear that you sort of disagree with the most or that run most contrary to your own experience? Uh, I One of the facilitators was talking about how, like, uh, the state shouldn't um, be involved in these relationships between people who are, they call it substance use now, like, have uh, sub issues with substance use and their families. And I was trying to like, I wasn't like pushing back, but I was explaining, you know, like you, you can't be a good parent when you have this, this problem, you know? Yeah. And it's not that I wanted to be in custody of the state at all, but it was just I, I like stuff like that when they just kind of dismiss like how people with addiction issues can treat others and like the burden that they have on others. Yeah. Uh, stuff like that. And like, uh, I definitely don't like agree with the idea that like um, prevention is is not gonna work ever or that it's like a bad thing. I've heard people even go on that far. Yeah, that's yeah. interesting. Okay, so their argument is literally like uh, kids should never be taken from their parents, even if they're like ser seriously addicted. That the state doesn't have to make the right to make that decision, and that like social workers should be able to step in if there's an issue, like you know, you, you need a ride home from school or you don't have food or things like that. That was just one person. Yeah. Um, no, I can see that being uh, upsetting. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm hoping in 2023 to look more into some of the research on like safe injection sites because I think it's actually probably – or someone I trust told me that it's really bad research. So that's one thing I want to look into. Um, you'll see in the chat I dropped a link to Rob <laughs> Henderson's interview with Barry Weiss. I think you might find that useful. Okay, well, thank you so much for lending me your opinion. You have a merry, oh, you don't celebrate Christmas, sorry. Happy Hanukkah. <laughs> How dare you? Uh, no, Merry Christmas to you. Uh, yes, happy Hanukkah. And uh, yeah, thank you for reading my newsletter. Uh, KW, what's up? Hey, Jesse. Uh, happy holidays. Happy holidays. Yeah, it's, I'm just outside Baltimore. It's very where I am, too, about 11 degrees. Yeah, yeah, similar deal here. It's rough. Wind chill. It's, what was the window? Very, very rough. Sorry? 
What did you say the wind chill was? Three degrees. Yeah, that's uh, not but fun. I got a lot of Midwesterners in my family. We can take it. So yeah, yeah. If you grow so up bad. in situations like this, you 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 can survive days like this. Not too bad. I didn't. Uh, I'm a lo- native Marylander, but I have a lot of family from the Midwest. So you know, we can take it. I guess I just have it in my blood. Yeah. But at any rate, uh, it's been a long time since I called. It feels like we've gone through like like a year's worth of discourse in just a few weeks. But at any rate, uh, two articles of yours I really liked. Uh, one of them was about Twitter brain and about, I think it was the whole, the mask slipping, which is probably one of my least favorite online-isms of all time. Yeah, just for everyone else, this is the idea of, like, someone says something and you're like, ah, the mask slip. Like, they were evil all along. And this gets back to that idea that you can never just disagree with someone. It's always, like, some bigger thing. Yeah, that is, you know, what you were talking about in your opening monologue there really speaks to that. And your other one about, I think it was, if you're losing badly, you don't get to make radical demands about the terms of the debate. It's just, what that touched on is what I think is going on, especially with the rise of social media, I just feel like politics really isn't about bread and butter issues anymore. It's really about pattern recognition. Like if somebody mentions uh, black on black crime or the fact that, as you showed in that poll, uh, black adults name violence and crime as their top issue, that's just sort of been penciled in as a right-wing talking point. So if you sort of even dance around the edges of that, people in progressive spaces go crazy. Yeah. It, um, it, it's very, uh, it's frustrating. There, there's a way to talk about these things. Uh, the con, there was more context to this in my newsletter. It was about Yi Fang, who's a great journalist who just launched a Substack, um, getting destroyed by other journalists just for posting a video, um, of, of a black guy basically saying, I lost two cousins to gun violence. I don't get the sense the media cares when, People die from normal crime rather than police crime. So, uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I, that drives me a little bit crazy. It doesn't – obviously, black on black crime is a right-coded thing and it's been used for bad reasons. But it's just like you – if you don't – if you can't even talk about what the community in question prioritizes and cares about, you're in a bad place. You are. And funny thing about Lee Fang, I realized he's from Prince George's County. That's where I'm from. Oh yeah, yeah. That was one of yeah. the the sort of subplots. There was that he's actually from like a middle class family, uh, and a lot of the people dragging him are very wealthy and just have had no exposure to crime. I'm sure. Uh, ditto, and you know, it just got me thinking that another thing when you were talking about uh, Elon Musk and how he's sort of lost his mind on Twitter, I do feel like he'd do a better job if he would just stop tweeting so damn much. Like, yeah, dude, give it a rest. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's um, I, I don't I don't understand. He's he's a, a wealthiest person on the planet, but he just can't not be online. I guess tells you something about how how addictive it is, at least to certain personality types. It is addicting, and I think what you said about the Twitter algorithms, like, or as soon as you log in, it directs you to all this other stuff. Yeah, I feel like Facebook does the exact same thing, which is why I am taking it off my phone in 2023. That's that is my resolution, because, you know, I figure out what I originally signed up for a lot of these social media sites for is to just keep in touch with friends and family. But it's just over the past couple of years, it's become 
so corporate. The algorithms are just crazy. Every other thing you see is either an ad or a suggested for you uh, post. And it just, it's designed to just bait you into angry arguments. I, I feel like it's like a casino gone yeah. mad. Yeah, it's, uh, it's really bad. <laughs> and finally, I should mention that uh, that New York Times thing wasn't article that you were quoted in was not the only thing that talked about Twitter going away. Freddie DeBoer wrote something in the, in the Daily Beast. Did you see it? I actually haven't read it yet. It's on my Kindle, but he was basically arguing that it should go away, right? That it should go away. Journalists are too addicted to it. And that we have a better model of how it works, which is the pre-social media internet where blogs reign supreme. Everything was specialized and you weren't dragged into things you didn't want to be dragged into at every corner. Yeah. Yeah, well, that wouldn't be the worst thing if it melted down. So we'll see. Uh, I'm rooting for it. <laughs> Thanks, man. Uh, Justin, what is up? Hey there, Jesse. Thanks for having me. Hey, of course. And uh, Merry Hanukkah to you. I like to split the difference here. There you go. Um, all right. So, yeah, I also made the mistake of going somewhere absurdly cold uh, for the holidays back home. So... I can sympathize with your last caller. Where where are you? Uh, I I went from Nevada up to Montreal, Canada. In that the middle was of a mis- snowstorm. That was a mistake. <laughs> in most in most situations, I would say that is a very good trip in that direction. But this time of year, it's rough. Yeah, and I always tend to do it around this time. So same mistake. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, I read your articles. Uh, great as always. I wanted to uh, ask you about something you said at the beginning of this call, though, about you know the inflation of like. Um, you know, dragging harm as to be like the ultimate end of any, you know, disagreement or incorrectness. Yeah. And um, you might not have said it specifically, but you kind of said like, oh, this is a weird thing, though. I feel you've actually like spoken to like the, you know, kind of the source and the cause of this in, in, in other ways where, you know, it's just it's politically useful. And this is, you know, it's happened all over the place with, you know, like the definition of all these things expanded and seems to be happening for harm here too, right? Yeah, yeah, just a more general concept creep and inflation. Yeah, I think that's right. And I mean, it also, like, maybe it's not as new as I say it is. Like, there have been these hysterical claims forever. It's just, it seems a lot more salient as, like, I guess when people are on social media, they're, they sound more and more like Twitter, even in their, their long-form writing. Yeah, no, I, I definitely think it's become more and more normalized, which is like why we see it now. And like, you know, big, big papers and coming out of like academia and stuff, especially uh, where like, you know, if there's a disagreement and you can call it harm, well, that's, you know, leverage because nobody wants harm. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, I, I think you see it really clearly in like the the race talk where, you know, racism was really a bad thing. And now it could be as much as, oh, where are you from? Right. Right, <laughs> I think right, that, right. I think that brand's gone away a bit. Uh, anyways, yeah, the that, microaggressions just, thing was like, a, a, I don't know, it sort of showed the reductio ad absurdum of some of this. Right, but, you know, that's how you and I would perceive it, but that's not necessarily how others do. I, You know, I sometimes I'll say, like, hey, guys, at work, and I could tell that some people have um, taken it in, in, a, in a particular way when obviously it's not intended. So, yeah, so it's it's definitely still out there. Anyways, I really uh, uh, thanks and uh, and happy holidays, man. So I'll let thanks, you go. Justin. You too. Uh, hey, what is up? 
Sebastian. Uh, happy Hanukkah. Thank you. Merry Hanukkah. Thanks. Cheerful Hanukkah. Thank, Thank you very much. Uh, I just wanted to, I, I missed the first part of the call-in show today, so I don't know if you mentioned the podcast you just released, uh, the one with Helen Lewis or not. We have not. We have an episode that just went up today with Helen Lewis. Uh, well, today, if you're a premium subscriber, it'll be up for everyone Monday. And it included a quiz she gave me and Katie about internet bullshit. Yeah, I thought it was really, really good. Brilliant episode. And just as a general bit of feedback, like I think Helen Lewis is absolutely brilliant. And yeah. I would welcome her having more regular appearances on your show going forward. I yeah, first... guests are for like a two-person podcast that does sort of rely on me and Katie's chemistry. Guests are iffy and they often don't work. But I think Helen can just sort of slide seamlessly. And she's really, she's that good. Yeah, no, she slides seamlessly and it's brilliant. Even if it meant you not being there in the future, like I'm okay with that as well. <laughs> Uh, as long but, uh, as the checks keep coming in, it's fine with me. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I just I did listen to the first episode of her new podcast series in the BBC as well, the New Gurus. Have you heard any of that yet? Yeah, there was one preview. The uh, preview episode they she, she sent um, was about the stuff we talk about on the podcast: race to dinner, uh, diversity oh, yeah. training stuff. I haven't heard that one. I've been going through chronologically, so I've only heard the first one about Russell Brand or whatever. But it's just for people in general if they haven't heard any of it yet. I'd strongly recommend it. It's brilliantly produced and very very well done i just wanted to add that in case anyone hasn't listened or anyone was thinking about listening but hasn't yet i'd strongly recommend um but i just wanted to chat about to touch on two recent articles neither of which uh, are your own articles but you were mentioned in one of them the jonathan Che one where he was talking about the backlash to um the new york times article uh yeah. the, the recent one and he, you kind of heavily featured in it as like uh, an example of kind of the canary in the coal mine for all of this stuff um, and I, I don't, I didn't, I'm not sure if you've mentioned or if you've talked about this before. Have you mentioned it in the last couple of shows about that article? No, uh, yeah, this was an article that that ran on um, Intelligence or where, where John Chate writes, and uh, yeah, he just talked about how like we can't have. Uh, I mean, you tell me if I'm remembering right. Basically, we can't have a situation where where disagreement over the medical side of blockers and hormones is uh, pathologized, and and he presented a theory that I think I've mentioned before and that I, I think is true, which is that um, the backlash to my 2018 Atlantic article was like so over the top that I, I do think like everyone in media on Twitter saw it and that it probably scared some outlets off of this subject, at least for a little while. And then we're now bouncing back is my view. You still there? Yeah. Yeah. I oh, think sorry. that's definitely true. Like that that's a big part of the purpose of cancel culture is like to, Yeah, so can you hear me? Yeah, can you hear me? There's some can you hear something's me? going on now. I can. Hello? Can the rest of you guys hear me? Throw Hello? me a thumbs up if I, you can, I can hear me. Yeah, okay. Hmm. I think I'm losing you, eh, unfortunately. Um, oh, you can hear both. Here, try to say something else before I, before we give up, eh? Okay. All right, I'm going to have to go to the next call. Sorry, sorry about that, man. But um, sorry about that, dude. I just, it, it, it was mangled on your end. Alex, what's up? Hello, yes, Jesse. I guess I had some um, uh, question um, about, like, oh, I can't even remember. Oh, I guess it was a follow-up to one of your questions earlier about the guy who was attacked for um, just um, mentioning about, um, you know, his friends getting black-on-black violence. I know that's like a huge conservative talking point, but why don't – it doesn't seem like liberals really want to 
tackle it like the liberal party or the left wants to really tackle that issue more like when it's just like con i guess quote unquote convenient because i don't see how black dudes killing each other is very convenient for anybody especially the people they claim to care about um what, what would be your opinions on things like that i mean to me it's 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 i don't i wouldn't frame it um i mean i mentioned the black and black thing because that was um i i think someone else said it. it's more any socially dysfunctional poor neighborhood is going to have violence and those are disproportionately black in the states and and it is to wave away violent crime as an issue as i don't know it, it pisses me off because like if you live in one of these neighborhoods it's just like a daily reality the worst neighborhoods a lot of neighborhoods are, are doing okay and america is not as violent as it was in the 80s or 90s but um it's 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 look at the polling it's their top it's a lot of black americans it's their top concern and and it hits them personally and it, you're a very good ally if you accuse anyone who brings that up um of of being racist and to me what's most telling is that if, if it's if a police officer is involved it's a national story insider just did this sprawling investigation of the of the 150 trans people killed in the last um i forget how many years the vast majority of which were not killed because of hate crimes they were killed because they were like sex workers and sex work is dangerous in poor neighborhoods uh street workers so I think people sort of see through this and like the, the liberal mindset of like endless attention paid to murder if it's the right kind of murder. If if the victim had the right identity characteristics or the perpetrator had the wrong identity characteristics, I think people see through it. I think it's a little bit ghoulish because Insider never would have done a sprawling investigation into a bunch of poor people being killed if they hadn't happened to be trans. And I, I do think people's lives matter equally regardless of their identity characteristics. So – this annoys me. I've written a little bit about, about the crime stuff, about how people try to pretend it's not a big deal. Um, I, I just, I think it's, it's bad. I'm not giving a very like novel or interesting answer here, but it does. It pisses me off a little bit because like it's personal safety is so important and it affects people's politics so deeply. And if they see people disregarding it, uh, it things aren't going to end well. I think also I, um, I, I remember listening to your um, interview with the um, Swedish lady about their, um, Think about their how they deal with trans issues, and I thought it was kind of interesting because um, here in the United States we actually do use the ICD-10 as well. Um, you mean rather than just the DSM? Huh? Say it again. You mean rather than just the DSM? Yeah, yeah. I've seen, um, I've seen um, for prescriptions for such as like Adderall, and even even for for um, transitioning drugs like puberty blockers and hormones i've seen icd and 10 codes for those as well gotcha i just i just thought that was interesting. i just wanted to inform you about that another thing i did it was kind of interesting um i guess going back to what we were talking about earlier i had um i actually went to high school with a um a conservative commentator have you ever heard of brandon tatum yeah it sounds familiar he sounds familiar he um actually we went to high school we actually went to high school in the hood like um like many years ago. Fortunately, I don't think there were many shootings. There were a few car accidents when we went there. <laughs> set unfortunately, um, which I think is actually I think I've actually read is kind of a growing problem today. But um yeah, I thought that was um I think that would be kind of some of the more crazy talking points that they have. I mean, I guess his trajectory for me personally kind of interesting kind of like not suspect because he went the school that we went to like i said was kind of a poor area then i know he became a cop after he went to play college ball so i guess going that route 
is understandable. I'm just I'm just blabbling about a story, but I just thought it was kind of interesting to see how that trajectory for someone to go from the environment that we went to school into becoming a conservative commentator. Yeah, no, I, look, I don't I don't think it's that uncommon for people who. I mean, this you know, sounds like an outlying example, but like folks who are from poor neighborhoods often are pretty tough on crime. I mean, I, I wrote about this a little bit um, when a book came out called Black Silent Majority. It was about like communities like Harlem and their role in passing the Rockefeller drug laws, which is usually uh, these laws are, are attributed to basically white conservatives. But but stuff's more complicated than that. Um, thank you for the call, Alex. No problem. All right, Neil, let's uh, want to wrap us up here. Sure. So I wanted to call in about swastikas like weeks ago. And then just a couple days ago, they had the, they had the New York Times thing. And so many people had like such a bad take about like the crossword puzzle looking kind of like a swastika, but then you didn't. So I was like so thankful. But, um, I wanted you to ask my, about my take, meaning that it did not look like a swastika, that, you or even, even if it kind of did, it like wasn't something to like freak out about. Like I just don't, it was like, so many people were like, oh, the first night of Hanukkah. Like, oh, my God. It's like, what are you talking about? They did this on our least important, most commercialized holiday. How dare they? Yeah, I just – and it's like, it's like, oh, it was a whirlpool. It was a spiral. Like, I, like, like, I just oh. – It was very dumb. But, um, no, I wanted to ask you about – because, you know, I have, like, um, kind of, like, controversial thoughts on the swastika and, like, the swastika, which is, like, the, the opposite – Direction wait, wait, what are your controversial thoughts? Like, like, I think we should, I think we should like take it back, right? Like, because it, it, it existed as a symbol, right? Before the Nazis. And, and it also is still used in other cultures, right? So like, I feel like, cause there was this one like t-shirt campaign, like, like five years ago or so where they like put the swastika on like these shirts and they were, they were rainbows and were like peace and love, but then they like got totally canceled and then they like, canceled the campaign because they were like, Oh, swastika is red. But like, I, I don't know. I feel like, I feel like we should we should take it back. Like, what what are your thoughts on the idea of people I mean, just it's like just unre- it's unrealistic? Because at this point, whatever the history of it and the, I'm sure in history it's been used orders of magnitude times more in in you know uh, fine settings than it was used by the Nazis. But it, it means a very specific thing, and and it ties into one of the worst events of human history. So I just I don't think it's realistic to try to take it back. I also I don't care enough. Um, I do think if if it's used in another context, uh, like that, there was a summer camp controversy where like this mm-hmm. whole building had a swastika yeah. with the founders loved India or whatever. I don't remember the details. In those cases, of course, we should speak up and say it means other things, but I don't think it's realistic for us to like reclaim but, it. But what about other cultures that currently still use it, right? There's like, there's like, uh, they uh, should be Hindu. allowed to use it. Other cultures are other yeah. cultures. But what, but what if like an American who's like very like into Hinduism, like wants to wear it? Like, 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 I don't know. Like, I, I feel like. I think what I think once they're educated about its meaning, they should not wear it in America. I mean, mm, it, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I disagree. I think. I think we should. But because, like, because, sure. like, in like a hundred years, do you think? Do you think people still care? Or do you think it will have like yeah, a verdict? I, I, I think. I think it'll. I hope in a hundred years, it's still. It'll just depend, like, whether or not the Holocaust has just faded into just some other event. Um, well, I anticipate a hundred years from now, they'll still be out. You You don't think that the Holocaust could be seen as a like horrible tragedy, but that we could still like not get like, cause I, I think it's the same way about like the okay hand symbol, right? Where they tried to make that into like white supremacist thing. It's like giving people symbols that are not like, I don't know, I guess for me it's but the okay hand symbol. is like a, a completely made up bullshit from like 4chan. Well, yeah, that's not- true. But, but I, to me, it's the same idea. Right? It's like giving like the symbol over to 
like like let, letting them have the symbol like letting the bad people have the symbols like not something that we should allow to happen i don't know but yeah i get what you're saying i just i'm i think realistically it's probably not going to be really well i think there's a difference between realistically and like what i think should happen right like obviously realistically like most people are not on board that's why it's a controversial take but but right. yeah i don't know i get what you're saying yeah anyway. so thank you <laughs> thank you for the call Dale. yeah i appreciate the um contrarian takes i i wouldn't have this show if i didn't uh yeah, I don't. I don't know. In theory, other people should be allowed to use the symbol if they're using it legitimately. Legitimately, um, me tripping over my words is sign is a sign that I'm running out of steam. Thank you guys for listening. As always, I would just uh, ask everyone to, uh, if you like the show, if you like what I'm doing, tell others about it. Uh, Laura Palmer, last caller, you got to watch New Jack City or go see the play. I did not know there was a play about New Jack City. Yeah, New Jack City is classic. I have not seen it in a very long time. Um, yeah, I hope everyone has a good Christmas if that's what you're doing or Hanukkah, if that's what you're doing or Kwanzaa, or if you celebrate some other even weirder holiday, I hope that goes well too. And, uh, most of all, I hope you stay warm and have a good, uh, New Year's.